welcome back to Who's There? I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. FYI, our last episode for the summer is going to be coming out on August 2nd, and we'll be, we'll be on a bit of a summer break after that, but don't worry, we'll be back in the fall with some awesome interviews. Anyways, today on the show, I have a super insightful and thoughtful conversation for you with horror writer Mark Benedict. We talked about how he first fell in love with horror, why he thinks the genre speaks to so many people so deeply, and how he got into writing horror fiction. He also tells me about the cult that was started where he went to grad school, and what it was like to take a writing workshop with Paul Tremblay. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think that's it. So let's get into this episode with Mark Benedict. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you, Allison? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Mark Benedict. I write short stories. Many are fantasy or horror. I've also written book and movie reviews. Michigan is home. I grew up here. It's where I currently live. But I went to grad school in New York, so I lived there for a few years as well. Awesome. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? This one's easy. This one I'm ready for. (laughs) Rosemary's Baby. Why is that your favorite? Okay. It is firing on every friggin' cylinder. It's a great premise, great characters. It's beautiful. It's vicious. It's like the prettiest flower with the nastiest thorns. And also I'd say it's like kind of the ultimate gaslighting story. Rosemary's drugged, raped, lied to, raped by Satan. And I love all the secret scheming that's going on in the background. That makes it a really great rewatch movie. It's an awesome extra layer. And the soundtrack, Allison, it is so killer. A couple other things. It's often called a slow burn movie. And all right, the horror doesn't fully emerge until the end, but it's not a slow or quiet movie. It's drenched in mystery. The necklace, the anagram. I love the anagram. And it's actually a PC film. It's aggressively edited. Lastly, the casual evil. The villains are friendly and polite, and they will fuck you over hardcore. It ain't personal. You're just a convenient victim. It is so unfair. And no one can save you. Not your friends, not your family. Also, P.S., your husband is in on it. So yeah, that's my favorite, Allison. Can I ask what yours is? My ultimate favorite horror movie is The Ring. Really? Yes. So the remake? Yes, the remake. I think the Japanese version is really boring and there's no atmosphere. So. Okay, wow. So how many times would you say you've seen it? I don't know. I maybe watch it like once a year. So since 2002, maybe like I've maybe seen it like 20 times. I saw it twice in the theater when it was originally in the theater. And I saw it on Halloween in the theater again when they showed it Mm -hmm. at a theater in New York. So excellent. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I love that your pick is Rosemary's Baby. That actually came up recently. I've only ever watched that once. I think maybe I was in college and I wasn't super into horror yet. And I like I'm not very analytical with film, so I don't think I understood really like the gaslighting and everything aspect of oh, it. Oh God! Um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, my boyfriend recently was like, I don't believe you've ever watched that movie because if you had, you would hate that movie or like you would love it, but like also hate it. Yeah, so like, yeah. I might rewatch it soon, but I don't know. Yeah, if no. you connect to her and I don't understand how anyone could not connect with her. It's such an excellent performance and she's so like sympathetic, but like smart too. And she's yeah. really good at figuring things out. She's just one of the best characters ever and one of the best performances ever. So if you connect to her, I don't see how you could not be kind of torn up by the movie. It's so horrible. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you I was move just on, too though, young. I'll just, yeah, maybe. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so tell me, how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? Well, I was, uh, I was a little kid in the late 70s and early 80s. I don't know. That might be considered like a sunny era to grow up in. I don't know. But holy crap, there was a dark underbelly. There was so much fear in the ether about kidnapping, molestation, child porn. It wasn't even an underbelly. It was just like the belly. So within that context, when I was six, I saw the original Salem's Lot. It's a miniseries based on the Stephen King book. Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Okay. Like vampires taking over a small town and they just wrecked me, but also I guess fascinated me. The vampires are so friggin' sinister. But there's this other thing, the James Mason character, he's like this human, he's like the vamp- head vampire lackey, he's the lackey to the head vampire, but he's really evil, but he's essentially human. And he kind of has the aura of a kidnapper or a molester. And so that made it like realer and freakier. So after that, I was like, just, you know, terrified by, fascinated with vampires, that terrified slash fascinated with vampires. And, you know, really horror in general, too. Uh, and then when I was nine, Poltergeist came out, and I was all over it. I saw it twice in two days. Uh, but it was kind of manageable. It was scary, but it was manageable. But sometime after that, maybe a year or so later, I was just like, screw manageable. And I started to watch everything. And I started to w- read Stephen King as well. Oh, awesome. So is he your favorite horror writer? I'm really into his early work. And I mean, I would have to think about that for a while, but there's, there's certainly like some other kind of newer people that have come up that are really capturing my attention and doing great stuff. Who are they? Well, Karen Russell, I would say is the main one. She wrote Vampires in the Lemon Grove, and that's just an all-time classic story collection, but also Paul Tremblay and Livia Llewellyn. Uh, and before I forget, a recent guest on your show, Jamie Bradbury. She wrote oh. the novel, The Wild Inside. Mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of hers for a long time. And yeah, I've been stalking her, friendly stalking her like online <laughs> for a while and stuff. But yeah, it's a really cool book. And it kind of, I also recently read Tremblay's A Head Full of Ghosts. And it's sort of similar to The Wild Inside in that there you've got these YA protagonists, sort of, they're really like young kids and stuff. And that might maybe kind of tricks you into thinking that it's not going to get all that dark and it gets all that dark. I mean, in both cases in Tremblay's book and in Jamie Bradbury's book. So yeah, she really, she really nailed it. And I'm looking forward to what she does next. Awesome. I've heard that Paul Tremblay is really great. A lot of people that I follow in the horror community read him, but I've heard that he has a lot of animal torture scene. So I'm just staying Uh, away from them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess I actually had a horror workshop with him last summer. It's the Southampton writers workshop and it's, it's based in New York, but last year because of COVID they had a virtual workshop. And so I got to like, and it was my first ever like horror workshop and it was excellent. He was excellent. 
And like everybody in the class was excellent. It was just such a great experience. But yeah, he might have some pretty, pretty intense animal stuff. Yeah. Not for everybody. <laughs> was he nice? Oh yeah, totally. Like, I mean, we're still, there's still like an email chain with like the class and stuff. And he'll, you know, he's read a, a few of my like stories that he didn't have to read. And, and it's just a real supportive community. We did like this, me and the other students did kind of like our top five horror films and top five like horror novels. And that was fun. And it, it eventually kind of segued into like our top five Nicolas Cage movies, which was weird, <laughs> but also fun. So yeah, it was a great experience and, and he's a great guy. That's very cool. Going back to Salem's Lot, I think they're remaking it or they have remade oh, it. And it's going to be, re- it's going to be released at some point. So maybe yeah. I'll say that. Vampires yeah. are not really my thing. That's like one of the subgenres that I just have no interest in, but. <laughs> because it, it just, it's, it's too much or because you're just. It, it you just kind of grosses it. me out. Just I seeing see somebody that. suck somebody else's yep. blood, which is insane to say since I watch so many other things that are so much more like graphic per se yeah but there's just something about like drinking blood that is just like it's like really intimate right like it's just it's kind of I don't know it's 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 definitely its own weird thing but yeah I can see it's not for everyone yeah (laughs) Uh, so why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre that one's difficult I'll say this kids are drawn to forbidden stuff at least at least in my day it was always like, what's off limits? Let's watch that. And horror's pretty forbidden, pretty off limits. And it maybe gives you some street cred as a kid or playground cred if you've seen some horror movies. But my question is too, like, why do some kids get like really into it and other kids kind of just get into it on like a passing and a passing kind of, you know, way that most kids get into just movies in general. And I don't know the answer to that either, but I guess that it especially connects to kids with divorced parents or who are bullied or abused. I mean, the genre really speaks to unfairness. It's definitely a beacon for outsiders. And horror can be like really weirdly relieving and comforting in some ways. And I think especially if you've got, you know, some janky stuff like that's going on in your childhood, maybe that's like it just you gravitate toward it a little more. But one reason I'm personally still into it is it rekindles that forbidden thrill, like a first watching horror as a kid. And then another reason, uh, it's just the genre's off the rails quality. Like anything can happen. No one is safe. Your eyes aren't safe. I mean, like as the viewer, you're gonna see some crazy shit. And when it works, there's just nothing like it. And it, it just feels like we're seeing like hidden things, like secrets of life and death. But it doesn't always work. You know, there's got to be a cool story, cool characters, a vibe, an atmosphere. It can't just be random mayhem. That I'm not, yeah, I'm not into that. Like, I don't need that. But again, when it works, it's just awesome. My main response, though, why wouldn't seeing people love horror? The world can be like a nasty place. And I really wish it wasn't, but it is. So why shouldn't our stories reflect that? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. I've had people come on here and say, horror makes them feel better because it just shows them how good their life it is. In yeah, comparison. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite subgenre in horror? Uh, that's hard. I mean, I like most of them, but if I have to choose here, I'd say religion, like cults and covens and demons, but also like Christianity. It can be pretty scary too. Uh, have you seen first reformed? 
I haven't. I've never even heard of it. Oh, yeah. It's A24, I think. It's kind of like horror adjacent, but it's Ethan Hawke is this tortured pastor and Amanda Seyfried is a parishioner. And it just goes gradually off the rails. And it's Mm. just such a hardcore, like final third of that movie. But it's good all the way through, like from the very like first few minutes, you've just got this uneasy feeling and you're just like, something's not right. This is going in like a a bad direction and it just yeah and it, it definitely goes there so oh. but as a disclaimer i ain't against christianity or anything mm-hmm. uh, my only issue is when it tries to control people or when it supports like evil politicians i don't need to name any names they know who they are but there's this idea this justification and it goes something like well sometimes god chooses flawed people to lead and it's just like yeah right flawed my butt I'm more <laughs> like fucking sinister You've seen Midnight Mass, right? Yes. Do you remember that Bev character? She's like the priest's right-hand lady. She's excellent. She's awesome. I mean, he's excellent too, but when he becomes like a literal monster and Bev's still like, well, but he's doing God's work. So whatever he does (laughs) is okay. That seems like really, really on point, at least these days. But what about you? What's your, what's your favorite subgenre? I think my favorite subgenre is psychological horror and then gothic horror. Okay. What would what are some of those? What which ones would you put at the top of those subgenres for you? Psychological horror is definitely the ring. And then I think with gothic horror, I think they're the others, the woman in black. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Antlers. No, Antlers I wasn't gothic. It was just okay. it was just atmospheric. It had like that oh misty, misty Pacific Northwest feel. So oh, yeah, yeah. Anything that's Excellent. like in a wet area, I'll love it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, um, that's half of it, like always, or at least half of it, just like yeah. the atmosphere and the, the vibe and stuff. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> Who would you say are your favorite horror directors? Yeah, I'm going to cheat on this one. And I'm going to go with my two favorite up and coming horror directors. They're actually both actresses. Each wrote and directed a horror film that came out in 2020. The first is Ramala Gari. And her film is called Amulet. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. Okay. It starts as a grim drama, but it, it evolves into like this otherworldly freak show. It's a really weird, really cool. Okay. And the second one is Amy Simatz and her film is She Dies Tomorrow. Oh, I've and seen that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's an awesomely evil premise. I'm not going to say it here. You got to watch it to find out. So yeah, Ramala Gari and Amy Simatz. I've been practicing their names all day. Uh, <laughs> I hope I'm getting them right. In any case, I'm psyched to see what they do next. And I hope they stick with horror, but you know, whatever they do, I'll be interested to see. But they're really kicking ass with horror. So awesome. Yeah. She dies tomorrow was very eerie. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> An article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Well, I'm in Michigan. Lockdown's a really sensitive subject. There was a vicious backlash and also a failed plot to kidnap the governor. It sounds made up when I say it, but (laughs) it is not made up. So I think I'll skip this question. I probably shouldn't speculate about lockdown reactions. It might take us down a dark ranting road. Well, you told me in your initial email that you were a graduate of Sarah Lawrence and that there was some recent real life horror there. Can you tell me that story? Oh, geez. All right. This was after I left. And I think it's a really isolated incident. And it's a great school. And what's kind of like ironic and incongruous about this story is like Sarah Lawrence is just this 
the, the best campus you'd ever want to go to. It's like really woodsy. It's really friendly. It's like Hogwarts, you know, it's like the most peaceful environment you can imagine. But somehow like there was like this semi cult got started there and it was like a student's father. So a female student's daughter uh, started like kind of controlling and scamming some of her like classmates and it got started in the dorm and he was kind of living there and like Sarah Lawrence found out about it, but they were, there wasn't really anything they could do about it because, you know, he was the father of a student. Like it was just like their, their hands were tied on that level. And I'm sure there was nothing they would have liked more to give him the boot, but it was just like, there wasn't much he could do. So that was years ago. And I guess, but it, it's been in the news lately. There's like a trial, I think. And it's really, really weird, unfortunate. And it's, it's kind of fascinating because of this incongruity, like I said, like, cause it's the last place you, you know, expect weird, scary stuff. Like Sarah Lawrence is such like a welcoming, welcoming place, but I guess evil can take root anywhere. So Yep. Yeah. Wow. I, that's incredible that they weren't able to kick like a non-student out of their dorms. I know. I know. And what's even more weird, I guess the, the cult or whatever it was, it kind of moved to the city eventually. And they were like, the police knew about them, but the police couldn't really do anything either because everyone was of age, you know, and like Mm -hmm. parents tried to intervene parents of some of these kids who got involved And it was just like, they're limited because everyone's of age and they're acting, I guess, you know, with consent or something. So really too bad. Yeah. Wow. That's a really interesting story. I'm going to have to go Google that when we get off here. But speaking of cults and you like, you like cult movies and religious movies. Have you seen the movie Red State? No, but I've heard, I've actually heard it discussed on your podcast and it seems like it's divisive. I just, not many people have actually seen it because I don't think it got like a huge release in 2010 mm-hmm. or 11. So if you can find it online, I would definitely watch it. It's good. I think my girlfriend has seen it actually. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but she's like the only one. That's the only way I know about it. It's like, yeah. she's mentioned it. Did you like it? <laughs> oh, I loved it. I saw it at okay. a uh, screening at Radio City back in 2011 with oh. the whole cast there. So awesome. and Kevin Smith. So that was a lot of yeah. fun. I got a copy of the DVD off eBay because I don't make oh. it anymore. A okay. couple years ago. So I had to pay like 30 bucks for it, but it was worth it. Oh, okay. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So have the events at Sarah Lawrence, have they ever inspired any of your writing? Huh? Yeah, actually I have two stories, not those specific events, but I had two stories in my graduate thesis that were actually took place on the campus. Uh, and so on that basis, but not those specific stories. I've got like a cult story or two, but I wrote them kind of prior to, and I've got like some religious stuff too. Nothing that explicitly was inspired by that. That's a good, great question though. Yeah. (laughs) How did you get into horror writing? You know what? I was kind of into it before I went to Sarah Lawrence. Uh, You know, I was writing mostly like realism and then I don't know, like a, a few times I tried like fantasy or horror And, you know, and then I got to Sarah Lawrence and it just like something really clicked where it was just like, I remember I was writing this story and there was this, this kind of clueless guy who just was trying to date this really accomplished woman. And so he's trying to like, you know, someone who was, I guess you'd say the phrase would be like, who's 
out of his league or whatever. And the kind of the joke is that he wasn't like aware of it. He didn't get it. Like, and she didn't want any, really anything to do with him. And I was, you know, going in on that and, and working on that. And then it was just like, wouldn't it be better if she were a witch? And that like really just kicked it up. And, and that kind of started out a lot of me just like, you know, well, what about this? What about that? If I started to write like a realistic one, a realistic story. And sometimes like uh, a fantasy premise or like adding like a fantasy element or a horror element, sometimes it really enhances the story and kicks it up a notch. And, but there's a few cases maybe where, you know, you want to stick to realism and it kind of violates what you're trying to do. But a lot of times it can like kind of amplify it and it's, it's just so much fun and it's so great. And yeah, I love it. Awesome. Do you have any stories brewing right now that you're going to start writing? No, uh, but well, I mean, I've got something coming out like this weekend. Can I tell you about that? Yeah. Okay. My kind of goal like lately is I'm, I'm really trying to do like extreme fiction. I'm not a big fan of backstory and exposition. And I'm always thinking what's the shortest, weirdest, most readable, most dangerous version of this story that I can do. And what's the least amount of exposition I can get away with? Because like, even, you know, like I've read a lot and I've read a lot of books and stuff, but like boring is boring. And like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like slog through like boring stuff. It's not, it's just not, not for me really. Like it's, it's just, a you know, I want to read cool shit and shit that gets right down to it. Oh, with that as context, I wrote, this is kind of a longer story and it's called Puma Year. And it's about a kid in high school who's on the brink of getting in big trouble. And it's his whole kind of school year and it's realism except if you look really closely at it, because there's all these kind of like fantastical underpinnings. And the biggest example would be like, this kid keeps having these dreams with where Johnny Cash, like the singer is kind of like giving him this really specific advice to really develop. He's telling Johnny Cash is telling his kid, you've really got to, you know, take up this practice. And he's really kind of berating the kid until the kid finally like, wakes up one day and is like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then because he picks up that skill in the end, he's like able to, he not only kind of saves himself and other people, I mean, he just makes his life better. And I have to say, cause this is so weird, the timing of it, but it actually involves like school shootings. Mm. And so that's just weird that it happened to be picked up and like that it's coming out this weekend after what happened like this week, but it's, yeah. So, but it's a cool story and it's, it's longer, but each, like the scenes are short and I think it really moves. And there's a lot of stuff like, like when people say, like, I don't know if you're familiar with this concept or it seems like a universal concept, just when a lot of people were like, say things like things happening in their life where I was never the same after that. And it's usually like a negative thing. And so, and a lot of my stories are pretty dark and, and don't have a happy ending and stuff. But one of the things with this story, it was like, well, what would be something that would just afterwards, you'd be like, it changed my life, like, you know, for the better. And one thing would be like, obviously like somebody getting a break, like a, a great career break or something, or they like, you know, get in the movie industry or whatever, or they get published at a high level or something. But it's like, well, this kid's only like 15, 16. So what would be something for him 
and he's kind of obviously got like he's really kind of tortured and he's got like issues with his like parents and stuff and it's like well what could happen to this kid that would just you know kind of ratchet him up on his like just sense of himself and make him feel like a worthwhile person and it's almost like the world and this is kind of the fantastical element too it's like it's almost like the world is conspiring or his environment and the people around him are conspiring him to make him feel better about himself and to be like kind of a force for good in the world. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. It sounds like it's going to be an interesting story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you said you're from Michigan and you live there now. Have you ever been to any haunted places in Michigan? Yes. That's a glad to get a safer subject. There is Arebus in Pontiac, Michigan. It's it, it's one of the world's largest haunted houses. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay, yeah. I don't think it's the world's haunt largest anymore. It might've been at one point, uh, but for years, like I couldn't get anyone to go with me. And it was just like, I was just like, oh my God, I gotta get here. And I didn't want to go alone, but I finally did. And then I've actually been three times now. So yeah, dreams come true. <laughs> How was the haunted house in Michigan? It's really cool. Uh, and you know, it's, it's long. That's like one aspect of it. And it's a high production level. I still wouldn't say it's the best thing I've been to, but it's really good and it's kind of pricey. So that's kind of like a factor, but like, yeah, it's really good. It's solid. Nice. So it's a, it's a haunt. It's not like an actual haunted spot. It's like a haunt that they make for the holidays. Yes. It's a, it's a haunted attraction. Have you been to Maine at all? Yes. Yeah, we went to a supposedly haunted, like an actual haunted bed and breakfast uh, in Bethel, Maine. We didn't see anything. I was definitely on the lookout. uh, And my girlfriend was definitely kind of freaked out, but it was still fun. It was a cool place. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) So how do you decide what horror movie to watch when you're just hanging out and looking for something to watch? Well... We do go to the movies and we have a local art theater. It's the Maple Theater in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And they just have like an all around great selection. Uh, And this is maybe wouldn't you, you wouldn't expect this for like an art house place, but they really come through for horror fans. They play old stuff, new stuff. Last fall, they played the original Evil Dead. This spring they played You Won't Be Alone. It's Mm. the recent witch film. It's totally insane. Have you ever heard of that at all? I think I've heard of it. I haven't seen it though. Yeah, it's crazy. But in terms of deciding what to stream, like, you know, sincerely, actually podcasts are a big source, like yours and a few others. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? My girlfriend really likes this question. She relates it to personal life boundaries, like things you won't even consider, people you spend time with, places you won't go. Well, my answer is... No, not really. There aren't really any that I just absolutely won't watch. And I'm not like tough or hardcore or anything. I just, I mean, I want to be freaked out, but I'd add, you know, torture porn doesn't call to me. I've never seen Saw or Hostel or the Human Centipede. Uh, And I'm sure on some basic reflex level, they're freaky, but that's not exactly what I want. And I'd, I'd watch them if someone else wanted to. Have you seen any of those? I I saw Saw in theaters in 2004 with no oh. idea what I was getting into. So okay. I was I was 18. Okay. So, yeah. So how did that treat you? How was that? It was the only horror movie to ever give me an actual nightmare. So oh, I wow. have never seen the others, all the sequels. I did see Spiral 
last okay. year, which I liked because it was more like a more like a police drama sort of okay. than an actual torture porn movie, though there okay. were those elements. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've, so you're kind of recommending them, right? Like you would say, I would watch the first, the first saw. I also hear okay. that maybe the second and the third one are also good story wise. Okay. Then I hear they just go off the rails kind of, I think there are like okay. seven or eight of them. I'm not sure, but have you seen cannibal Holocaust? I have not. No. Cause there's okay. like actual like animal harm in those. So, yeah, you know, that one did call to me for some reason, kind of just the found footage aspect mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And it really called me. It like had my cell number. It left me <laughs> voicemails, but when I actually saw it, it just, I don't know. It's not much. And the animal stuff is, Ugh, I don't know. Yeah, I want green room. Green room, yes. I've yes. yeah, I've seen green room. That one is pretty brutal. I like it. Yeah. I actually last time I watched it with some friends, it was the same price to rent or buy it on Amazon. So I just bought it. So oh, I gosh. own it now. <laughs> wow. How many times have you watched it? <laughs> no, I've only watched it the original time I saw it and that time when I bought it. So yeah. I've never watched it again. <laughs> I've actually only watched it like once. It's a gory, bloody yeah. gut bucket movie. But it's like on the side of the, the the punk band, like the main characters were really connected to them, to their fear and their desperation. Yeah. And that's like what makes horror so empathetically intense. And I'm not sure one reason I've held on, held out on some of these other movies is especially like human centipede, is I feel like it's not going to really be there. Like that kind of human factor. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's not, maybe, maybe like I, I'll definitely check out Saw now, which I wasn't avoiding. It just mm-hmm. never really came up and it, it didn't really call to me. So yeah, if you out. could handle cannibal Holocaust, I think saw will be fine for okay. you. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like a low budget horror movie that just like started a whole, a whole trend. So I yeah. think, I think it's worth watching just the first okay. one at least. Cool. Yeah. I actually rewatched it last year before I went to go see spiral and it was the first time I had rewatched it since I'd seen it in theaters and it wasn't as bad as I had remembered it. Okay. So, okay. For what it's worth. Excellent. <laughs> Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Actually, Allison, I have four, okay. but I can, <laughs> we can like speed round it. So I'm going to do it by year and here goes. Okay. okay. So 1985, I saw the werewolf movie, Silver Bullet. It was my first R-rated horror movie in the theater. I saw it by myself. I was under 17. I was way under 17. Somehow, I don't remember how, but I got my mom to buy my ticket. Thanks, mom. And then FYI, Silver Bullet. It's kind of like an after-school special with a werewolf subplot, uh, but like in a cool way. Okay, done. Next. 1995, I saw the original Halloween in Professor Eberwein's film class at Oakland University. It was like this amphitheater classroom. It was a big screen, good sound. And I guess I'd never really seen Halloween. And maybe I'd been dismissive of slasher movies. I don't know. But holy crap, I got wised up real quick. The music, the tracking shots. All right, next. 2005, I watched Psycho at a theater in Ann Arbor. It's a big college town. It was mostly a student audience. And they were really laughing at the film's datedness. Like just, you know, it was just, they were laughing in every scene until the shower scene. Then they got real quiet and it was sort of like the movie got revenge on them for not taking it seriously. All right. Last one, 2018. I saw Hereditary during its 
original release. And there wasn't anything special about the showing. It just messed me up. I was like, what the F did I just watch? So yeah, so that was like a big one recently. Did you, do you have a story about seeing Hereditary? I feel like you maybe referenced once or twice about like a bad date with Hereditary or something. Um, if it's yeah, okay to it ask was, about it. I will always remember sitting in the theater watching Hereditary and I will always remember the audience freaking out when she yep. is coming into focus in the corner of the ceiling. Oh God. Spoiler. And it always gets me. I've watched it a couple of times at home by myself and it like, I still, yeah. I just don't see her at first. But yeah, that was like, I think it was like my fourth and final date with somebody. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know it was going badly. And then we just like ended the date really quickly. And maybe the was person was- just kind of like, upset or I don't know I'm not really okay. sure I never spoke yeah. to him again but at least I got to see hereditary in theaters so yeah for sure I went sure. so what has been your favorite horror movie that you've seen so far in 2022 uh, yeah I don't know for this year I, I need to see more but last year if I can do last year mm-hmm. uh, it might be lamb have you seen that yeah that was insane that was yeah yep. that was a weird movie <laughs> totally totally <laughs> Yeah, but I saw it in the theater and it was like, yeah, it was cool to see it in the theater and it, it yeah. kind of stuck with me. Yeah, definitely. On the flip side of that, what horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in 2022 and the rest of 2022? Nope and Disappointment Boulevard. Oh, I haven't heard much about Dis- Disappointment Boulevard. Well, that's the Ari Aster, right? Oh, okay. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And awesome. if you want... Uh, yeah, I've got, I've been thinking, like, if you want to go down like an, a midsummer tangent that kind of relates back to one of your episodes, I've been thinking yeah. about that. So one of my favorite episodes of yours was with Whitney Stutes from Bloody yeah. Good Horror. Yep. And everything she said was excellent. But one thing that really stood out was her take on Midsummer. She felt slightly let down because it was good, but not great. Mm-hmm. And I just related to that big time because mm-hmm. Midsummer is just so awesomely directed. It's so visual. It's so smart. So it feels kind of ungrateful to criticize it, but just some of it is not smart. There's like so much that doesn't track like, just what? like on a, like a logic level. Well, these like anthropologists who are like these selfish frat boys, it's like, I don't believe these guys are anthropologists <laughs> and this smart, beautiful woman who like really doesn't have any friends except for these jerks. I think she would have better options like of people to hang out with. And then she has this hideous loss, just suffers the worst loss imaginable. It would land anybody else in the psych ward. And then instead she leaves the country for like bumfuck nowhere. It's just, it's sort of like Ari Aster had an idea for an opening sequence, a great opening sequence and a totally unrelated idea for the main story. And he like jammed them together. And they're like puzzle pieces that don't really fit. Like one thing I thought of is just like, I mean, it would make more sense if she like went to a camp for grief survivors and, and then that turned out to be a cult. Or if, or if she was an anthropologist and, and she had kind of like this big like thesis deadline or whatever. And that there's not an urgent enough reason for her to like leave the country. And I just don't think she'd do it. Like there'd just be have to, there'd be some place she'd else she'd go. And then finally I've got like, I mean, I say all this, but I like the movie. It's good. I've seen it twice and I'd see it again, but maybe like in a movie like this, where it's so kick-ass in so many ways, like the dopey stuff sticks out more. But my question for you and Whitney, cause I don't know if I can answer it uh, or if it's appropriate for me to answer, but is the director keeping faith with the Florence Pugh character? I mean, he puts her through so much. It's like trauma porn. 
it's like Rosemary's Baby. If Ro- I mean, Rosemary's Baby, that movie is really rough for, you know, Rosemary. But it's almost like Midsummer is like this, you know, it like starts Rosemary's Baby with this horrible trauma and then, you know, builds up to more horrible trauma. Whereas like Rosemary's Baby is just like, you know, she starts out and she's pretty good and there's some lightness to it and it gradually gets there. So it's kind of like double hitting Florence Pugh. And I don't know, it's just, it's a lot. And it's like, what tops? There's nothing that tops that it's kind of like a structural thing too, where, because nothing really tops the opening sequence. Like that's the worst thing that could happen to her or anybody. It's like, that's it. So it's kind of like, you know, where do you go from there? And then I don't know. So it's like, no matter what happens in the rest of it, it's like, you know, it's not going to be as bad as that. So well, I mean, what do you think about it? I think, well, I think she goes to Sweden because she's running away and because okay. she doesn't have anyone else. So she is just sticking by her, her boyfriend who clearly does not give a shit about her yeah. because she is just so grief stricken. And I don't know, losing, losing your family in like a joint suicide is probably like this worst thing that could ever happen to you but also joining a death cult might be up there too because you know eventually she's going to turn whatever the age was and then have to kill herself yep so like good for her but like she's also now she's in a cult so i would just i would say though too like totally respectfully but i guess like there's a couple things it's just like like she's you know like florence Pugh is kind of like you know a beautiful actress you know or whatever and it's like would she, it's almost like they, they needed to like make her a little bit more dowdy or they need to like, I don't know, like, or get a different actress as great as she in, because it's, it's definitely like, like right away, these guys are complaining about her and that she's just this like drag on their lives and stuff. And she's, that doesn't track with like, like the way she is like, cause she's obviously like a caring, smart person who like is kind of conventionally beautiful. So that's another thing that doesn't, quite track for me and then like by the time that we get to like the death cult thing it's like midsummer is a life or death movie and so it's weird that the one person we're connected to the one person who seems like a really good person our main character she's the only one who's not in mortal danger and so then and it's like i don't give a fuck about these frat boys like or <laughs> anthropologists or whatever they are or whatever so that's so abstractly it's like okay she's like it's abstractly the the ending has like this punch of like oh like they got her and she's kind of like you know the irony of like she's trading one crappy you know community for another and it's it is horrible but since it's like a life or death movie it's kind of it's it's, I get that it's like, you know, operating maybe on a deeper level or trying to, but it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's, it's definitely something to watch and I'll watch it anytime, but it's after two and a half hours, it's a little like curious that it just, it doesn't quite go into fourth year for me. Like, it's like, I don't care about those other guys. Let's kill them, you know, whenever. Uh, And she's the one I care about and it's horrible, but you know, it's, she's alive in the last scene, you know, or whatever. Yeah. What you were saying about her character not tracking because she's smart and caring and beautiful. It doesn't mean that just because she's those things that she doesn't have terrible self-esteem. Yes. So that is probably why she was with her, you know, douchebag boyfriend and yeah, yeah, yeah. friends. Yeah. So, that's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. 
Yeah. Yes. So I think I think it does track with her character because I think okay. she is a little bit too self selfless, and she and now well now she's totally alone. She doesn't have any family. Yeah. So I think she is just grappling onto whatever is familiar to her, even if it's not, even if they're not good for her. Well, I agree with you, and you've got a great point. I would just say that it feels like Aster is kind of rigging it. That like, I mean, who doesn't have any friends or family? You know, it's just like that's it, it. Just kind of feels rigged. Like a lot of the plot is like feels rigged to me because it's like, like why are these guys anthropologists? They don't seem like it. And it's like, well, <laughs> that gets us to you know Denmark or wherever. And then it's like, well, why are they like you know to to a man? Like every friggin' one of them, every one of them is a jerk. And it's like, well, why is that? Like you know or whatever. And it's like, well then that kind of puts us into this position where she can kind of get revenge and, you know, or whatever, but it kind of feels like manufactured. And it, like I said, it doesn't feel like it all quite fits together. That all flows. Like the first part doesn't quite organically flow to the next part for me, whereas hereditary was like, really like, it wasn't like uncomplicated. I wouldn't call it like an uncomplicated movie, but it's like at a basic level, even if you weren't tracking all the things underneath the surface, like you knew this family was in like moral danger at the end and you totally got that and it all fit together and like, you know, and like, it's, it's the same family from the start and, you know, we're tracking them from start to finish and it's like however much time in their life. And I don't know, it just goes together more. There's something about Midsummer and movies that kind of change locations and, and maybe have, too many ideas and too many threads to track. I don't, I'm not sure that's one of them. I'm not sure of another one, but it's like, like horror really thrives on simple, like stories, I think in general, just thrive on kind of, you know, not dumb, but just kind of premises that are kind of simple. And when it starts to be like, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of themes and we're tracking between different characters, like a lot of different characters, it's a little bit like it can kind of like chill out the fear factor because we're using too much of our mind, like intellectually. And whereas something that's like really focused, which is more like hereditary, like that, I don't know, it's, it's more, it usually works better for me. Okay, that's valid. I, I will agree that hereditary is better than Midsommar. I think it's a tighter movie, okay. but yeah. But I don't think hereditary is a simple story at all you think about all the things that had to happen for the ending to happen. Yes. It's not a simple story. So. Yes. I agree with that totally. But I mean, like I didn't get it all the first time I saw it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, there's, there was things I was still thinking about like, you know, a week later and stuff. So it's not simple. I mean, it's like just so smart and so like layered and stuff, but it is like on a, a kind of a, a plot level and on like a visual level and like, you know, we're just following this family and that's what we're doing. And so that's like, I guess, like, I didn't care that there was obviously like things that I wasn't completely picking up on the first time. I mean, I knew basically like this is shit is fucked up and with Midsummer, and that's happening visually a hundred percent Midsummer. by the time we get to Florence Pugh at the end and she's had her revenge and she's kind of being like, it's sort of like on an abstract level. It's too abstract because it's been like two hours since like her trauma. And so that the idea that that's kind of fulfilling her trauma, it's there like an, on an ideal level, but it's not for me anyway, it's not there in like a visceral level. 
but I can, yeah, you know, by all means have the last word. Cause these are just like, I, I mean, it's one, of, it's one of those movies that I really like, but that really bothers me in some ways. And because of, you know, hereditary was just so great and just like, oh my God. I mean, that's one of the movies where I'd say this is like, you know, a top 10 horror movie of all time or whatever. And then, and then Midsummer's got the cults and stuff. And it's just like, oh my God, this is exactly what I want. And then it kind of, you know, there are things that aren't quite there for me and that don't quite work. Yeah. I think the same could maybe be said about Jordan Peele's Get Out and then doing Us because people yeah. could poke more holes in us. Yeah. And I think How Get Out you- is just a more solid movie with fewer holes. Okay. So, so what did yeah. you think about Us? I liked it. I like Get Out better, but I really appreciate it. And I really like all like the symbolism that's in it and all like the little the little things that you get on the second and third watch from it. Okay. So, but yes, I need sure. I need to rewatch Midsummer sometime okay. again soon because I haven't I haven't watched it recently, but I, I did watch it was on my list. So okay. I will do that. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, it's great to watch. Like, you yeah. know, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like, or do you hold any unpopular horror movie opinions? I actually like that Dark Water remake with Jennifer Connelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably an unpopular opinion. That might just be like uh, a fan group of one on that one. Have you seen that? I have. I haven't seen the original just because I don't really ever find, I couldn't find the original, but also I just don't find Japanese originals. That, that's scary. So, okay. but I, yeah, you know, I enjoyed the remake. So, okay. It's yeah. so weird that the ring is a remake because it's so like high up there and like the Pantheon or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I forget it's a remake. And it was yeah. like, yeah, it's really cool. I watched it again recently. It's really cool. I mean, it looks really cool. It's really yeah. like, it's a really cool like mystery story. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's why I like it. And it's only a PG 13 horror movie. So, oh, I know. That's excellent. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, what do you think about the new Halloweens? I really like Halloween 2018 and I want to never watch Halloween Kills again because I Whoa. hated it. <laughs> okay. Okay. What was the difference? What, what, um, how did you define it? Halloween Kills, the dialogue was terrible. The plot was bad. The acting, some of the acting was pretty bad. I just, the, yeah, the dialogue, I just couldn't get on top of it. It was like over the top and yep. schlocky. So I, I, Totally agree. I like, you know, the first one, like just, I guess it's Halloween 2018 or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's definitely like, it's better produced than a lot of the other sequels. And it's mm-hmm. like kind of a kick, you know, yeah. but I don't know, like these, these like legacy sequels, I guess you'd call them or like the stars mm-hmm. return decades later. It's sort of like a band reuniting to play their greatest hits. Yeah. Uh, and there's something, I don't know. I don't know. And it's just like, why can it be like Labor Day afternoon? <laughs> and like Lori breaks into the mental ward and she kills Michael before he can escape. And maybe there's a picnic at the end and he flies some kites <laughs> and stuff. I, I mean, I I'm know. half serious. I mean, that would be new and it wouldn't be a retread. I guess like, I, I just feel like when they do that, it's like, you have to have like a great idea. Like you can't start with like, oh, we could make a Halloween sequel. You should start with like, oh, we have a great idea. And I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of the, the downside of a franchise fandom sometimes is that the writers are scared of like pissing off fans and stuff. And I don't, that kind of sucks because horror should be about surprise. It's the last genre I want to be like safe and predictable. So I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm like going to watch the third one. And even the, the second one, which I totally agree with you on, we actually got free passes to see it. 
And the, the theater, just people were really jacked. There was like a guy who came in a Michael Myers outfit <laughs> and stuff. It was like a preview screening and it was fun. You know, it was certainly fun to be there and, you know, and it just, it just, it wasn't. And I guess my expectations were so shot. They weren't totally shot, but they were a little bit after I saw the Halloween 2018, I was a little like, okay, like this isn't quite, you know, you know, what I want, you know, it's not really newer or whatever. So I went into like the second one, not really expecting much. And yeah, you're exactly right about it. And it's just kind of like treading water and killing time. And I don't know, but I'll see the third one for sure. Yeah. A lot of people call Halloween kills filler because they just had to get to do Halloween 2018 and Halloween ends. So perfect. Yeah. 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 If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? I mean, speaking of the ring and the dark water and stuff, like, I feel like sometimes those foreign movies, like when they remake them, that like turns out really well. Uh, so I don't know. Have you heard of Hatching? Have you seen Hatching? Yeah, I just watched that this weekend. Okay. Like, I didn't think it was great, but I think it's like a, a, a cool kind of premise. And I think even if you like took it from Finland to like America, Mm-hmm. You know, it, you wouldn't lose anything. It wouldn't, you wouldn't lose anything in the, the translation. So I don't know, that might be kind of cool. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, I did like it. I wasn't sure I got all of the metaphor at first. I pretty much yeah, did. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool. There was, there was some good body horror in it. So, which I'm, I'm getting used to because I've never really been a fan of that. Okay. So, but the more I watch it, the more, I don't want to say desensitized, but desensitized I get to it. And, okay. you know, it's, it's all fake. So that's just yeah, yeah, what I yeah. have to tell myself. Sure, sure. So, okay, good. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle David Cronenberg's uh, oh, yeah. new movie because I hear yeah. that people at film festivals were walking out of it. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see, I guess. Before I forget, speaking of that, so like maybe a week or so ago, we've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and we were kind of like hunting around, scrolling around for something to watch. And I'm like Hulu and they had Titan. Mm-hmm. And so my girlfriend was like, oh, this is the one with the car and stuff. Cause she'd heard you yeah. and your mm-hmm. guests like referencing it and stuff. And she's like, well, it's directed by a woman. So like, let's check it out or whatever. And it was just, I thought we were gonna have to stop it. And I offered to stop it. And she, you know, she got through it and she didn't want to stop it. But that's like the only time she kind of hit her eyes at some <laughs> points, but that's like the only movie where I didn't hide my eyes, but I did actually kind of put my hand up yeah. for a second because <laughs> it was just so like clinically like oh, yeah. horrific. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's an intense movie. I also oh watched gosh. that one. I guess it was technically a date though. I think we knew we were just going to be friends, oh, okay. but yeah, we couldn't find it in theater. So he illegally downloaded it um, and we watched it and he was like, like what are we watching? Okay. I was like, not a horror, sorry. Not a horror guy. Have, no, no, he likes horror, but he okay. will, like, I mean, Titan is a, is a lot even for horror fans. Yep. So, yep. but have you seen Martyrs? Yes, I've seen. Okay. I watched Martyrs a couple of months ago. Okay. Which, how did how do you like that one? I'm glad I saw it. I don't ever want to see it again. And yeah, yeah the ending is just pretty pretty horrific. Not yep. the worst thing I've ever seen. Okay. But yeah, I would see, I would say the sadness is the worst thing I've ever seen, but I hear some people say that it's not that bad. Okay. So I don't know. I've heard about that one. Yeah. Yeah. It just came on Shudder. So it's a Taiwanese horror film. Okay. All right. And it's known as like one of the 
bloodiest, goriest, brutalist films ever made. So, oh, God. Yeah. And there's also a lot of sexual violence. So oh, you might want to warn your girlfriend before yeah, you I don't, let her watch that. Yeah. You know what? I watched Martyrs like just on my own. Yeah. And, like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, just make her watch everything. She's yeah. not like a horror fan, but she, mm-hmm. like, there are exceptions. She liked uh, The Descent mm-hmm. and she liked the Revenge movie. Yeah. Uh, and Alien. She likes Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So, so, but yeah, I don't, I try not to push horror yeah. too much. Yeah. That's not going to be for her then. So. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Okay, well, my last question is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? I don't really have a great answer for that. So I'll just say this. I was so glad to be stuck in lockdown with awesome podcasts like yours. It was just really a lifeline for me. And I know I'm not the only one. So you're doing God's work, Allison, or the devils or pagan goddesses, (laughs) whatever applies. I don't know. In any case, thanks so much. And please keep it up. Oh, That's so nice of you to say. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here and chatting with me. This was so much fun. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and your stories online? Yeah, for sure. I have a new website, actually. It's just markbenedict.net. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, I will leave a link to that in the show notes. Excellent. Um, Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I will talk to you soon. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Benedict and thanks again to Mark for coming on. I'll leave links to his website and the short story that he recently had published in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at Who's There PC at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated.